My name is David, uh, one of the pastors at CA Church, and at our town center campus, uh, we have been journeying through the book of Philippians. And it's a fellow named Paul, an early follower of Jesus Christ, is in a letter that he writes that he writes to uh, the church in Philippi. And so Pastor Brad asked me to look at uh, Philippians chapter three beginning in verse 12 all the way to chapter 4 verse 1. And I said, sure, I can do that. And then as I was looking at the passage, I'm like, man, this passage seems familiar. I mean, I've read the book of Philippians uh, many times before, but this particular passage seemed familiar. And I realized that I, have, I actually preached this um, passage a year ago during COVID. And so there may be some overlapping themes. I have kind of re-looked re, uh, re at the passage, but uh, there may be some overlapping themes from from the message last year, which is a whole year ago, so you may not remember it anyhow. So we're going to look at uh, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. So if you have a Bible, turn to uh, Philippians 3, beginning in verse 12, and this is what Paul writes. He says, Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained." Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and I now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Lord Jesus, this is your word. And we do pray that you would take your word and speak it into our hearts today. So give us an open heart, soft hearts, to receive from you. And then the courage to respond to whatever you say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you actually look at this passage, so keep your Bibles open. Um, Paul, he begins, and if you're just joining um, this book and you read these words, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on, you might think, well, Paul, what are you talking about? Not that you've already obtained what? Or that you're already perfect. What are you talking about? Well, to make sense of this, you actually have to go back last week to what Pastor Brad um, walked us through, the earlier part of in chapter 3. Because what Paul has been doing is he's placing his life, his achievements, uh, his value, all those things alongside Jesus Christ. And as he does so, he lays out his heart's desire. He says, you know what? My deepest heart's desire is this. This is what I long for more than anything else. Is I long for the full knowledge of who Jesus is. I long for the full power of his resurrection. 
um, my desire to share in his sufferings and to become like him in his death, and then in the end to attain by the grace of Jesus Christ resurrection after I die. Right? So that's Paul's deepest desires. And he's laying that out earlier in the chapter. And so, you know, the question I, I've asked myself is this, is that my heart's desire? Is that my deepest longing? Is it your deepest longing? See, Paul lays out his hope. His heart yearns for the so much that he's basically saying, and he says this early in the chapter, he says, you know, all the things that I've ever done, and Paul had done a lot of things, he goes, means nothing. Um, all the things that I am, my, my, my identity, and Paul had a pretty noteworthy identity. He was, he, was, he was quite well known. He had considerable amount of power. He says, all those things, all those things, all the things I've accomplished, all the things that people said I was, all those things are as garbage. They are nothing compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. That means nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And so we have to see this for Paul, nothing matters. Nothing at all matters except knowing Jesus and being known by him. So again, I have to ask myself the question, is that my desire to know and be known by Jesus? My, oh, I, I desire it to be my desire for sure. And Lord, I pray that that would be our desire. So Paul says in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained all this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So Paul's desire to experience the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, but then he says, but have I arrived at this place? Have I got to the place where I've, you know, fully plumbed the heights, the depths, the width, the breadth of the love of Jesus Christ? Have I arrived at that place? And he says, nope, not yet. <laughs> I haven't arrived there. Uh, in fact, he knows, um, and we need to realize this, we're all in the same boat, that you and I will never fully arrive. We'll never fully arrive uh, until after we die and receive our resurrected bodies and live for eternity before Jesus Christ who loves us. Until that point, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. Now, Paul uses the word perfect. What does he mean by perfect? You have to, we have to get this right because Paul's not talking about moral perfection as if you can be a perfect Christian. Here's the thing. If you think you are a perfect Christian, you're not. You're just annoying. Um, Paul knows, he knows, and we need to know that there is no such thing as a perfect Christian. There is no such thing as a perfect Christian. You're either a Christian or you're not. You're either saved or you're not. Um, Christianity is about what God the Father has done in sending his son, Jesus Christ. And the only thing we can do, the only thing we can do is either receive or reject. So there's no idea of a, a perfect Christian. But there is such a thing as a mature Christian and growing in maturity, for sure. Growing in our, our knowledge and our experience of God, yes. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. And that's what Paul is talking about. When he's saying perfection, he's not talking about being a perfect Christian, but he's talking about this growing in maturity. That's what he's talking about. Um, becoming the person that you were saved to be, right? 
And so what this means is, is, is that every one of us, is, we're like pilgrims on the way. We're all on a journey. We're all on a, on, on a, on a journey to a destination. And so the question is, is on that journey, how, now, how shall we live? How do we live out the life of a pilgrim? Well, we're called to persevere. We're called to press on when we feel like giving up. Uh, we press on and we lay hold of that for which Jesus has already laid hold, taken hold of us. And so what is that? So what, what is Paul's life pressing towards? What is the trajectory of his life? What is Paul's whole life all about? It is all about Jesus. And we have to get this because the goal of the Christian life is not to be a really, really nice person. The goal of the Christian life is Jesus. Jesus is everything. And we need to get this because I think a lot of Christians have a messed up understanding of the Christian life. Um, a lot of Christians think that to be a Christian means to be really, really, really nice. Um, I, okay, I watched this show and uh, it's not an endorsement of the show at all, um, but we've been watching this show. Um, uh, it's called Superstore. It's, it's a dumb show, but uh, there's a scene in it, and there's a character in it. He's a manager. His name's Glenn, and he's kind of the, Christ, the Christian character. And there's one episode that I found just quite puzzling because he's, he's this Christian character, and he's, he's, he's bent on proving what in his mind was a Christian doctrine, that to be a Christian means you have to be really, really, really nice and not do anything wrong. I'm like, where in the world, other than maybe Hollywood, would you come up with that idea that that's what it means to be a Christian? All of us, needs, uh, we need a good dose of Ephesians 2. Glenn from Superstore needs a, a dose of Ephesians 2, which tells us that on our own, we are lost. We are in a lot of trouble. We are separated from God because of our sin. But then we read these words, but God, because of he, because uh, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. And that's, that's really important. We are undone on our own. But God, because of his great mercy, sent Jesus. And because of Jesus, we live, right? And so Christ, Jesus, is the goal of the Christian life. So how do we live this Christian life out? Well, that's what Paul teaches us. Look at verse 13. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've already made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We are to press forward to the goal. So what does that mean? What does it mean to press forward to the goal? Well, it means we have to first off Paul says we need to forget what lies behind. Forget what lies behind. What does that mean? What does it mean to forget what lies behind? Well, I mentioned this before, um, but it bears repeating. Uh, it does not mean that we are to ignore our past. And sometimes that's what Christians think. They think, well, you know, because I've been forgiven and God has forgiven all my sins. That means all the things I've ever done in the past, all the things I've ever done, I just don't need to think about them anymore. I should just forget about them as if they never even happened because I'm forgiven in Jesus. But, but, a couple problems. One is easier said than done. 
I mean, it's hard to forget some of the things we've done in the past. Secondly, um, I don't think we're supposed to forget the things that we've done because those things that we've done or that have been done to us in our past, they shape our story. They shape who we are. Um, you know, I, I think about my own past and how it shapes the contours of my own story. There's things that I have done in the past that I deeply, 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 deeply regret. Uh, I'm very thankful in a way that social media and smartphones and all those things were not around in the 80s. Um, but here's the thing, remembering the stuff that I did, and even though I regret it, it just, by re recalling them, helps me to just be very, very thankful for the cross, for what Jesus has done, and the forgiven that I have received, that while I was a sinner, Jesus died for me. And so like the psalmist, I, I many times find myself asking the question, oh Lord, who am I that you would even be mindful of me? Right? So I think our past is important. It shapes who we are. So that's not what Paul's saying. When he's saying, forget what lies behind, he's not saying, oh, forget about the past as if it never happened. What is he saying? Don't get stuck in the past. Don't get stuck in the past. And man, if there's anybody who could have got stuck in the past, it was Paul. Paul was a blasphemer of God. He rejected Jesus. He rallied people to arrest and to persecute Christians. Um, he was a violent man, and given all the things that he had done, I mean, you think of it, Paul, how could you even live with yourself? I think that's a question a lot of us struggle with because we've done things that we're ashamed of, right? But to get stuck in the past means that we spend so much time thinking about the things that we've done that we wish we hadn't done, that we just get stuck there. Um, we relive in our mind all the things that we said that we shouldn't have said or did that we shouldn't have did and maybe it messed up our marriage, our, our, our relationship with a friend, um, with, with family, who knows, with, with a child. Um, and so what happens, and I see this, is a lot of people, they get stuck in the past. Uh, they, they just constantly replay in their mind, man, if I had only said this differently, if I only had done this differently. And, and I get that, man. I said some things that just broke some real close friendships in the past. And sometimes I think back, oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. But a lot of us spend too much time looking backwards, rehearsing and rehashing old conversations um, with people who, who probably are long gone. Some people are even dead. Uh, you know, they, they've, they've long died. Um, but we get stuck, right? We get stuck because we're always looking backwards. And so the question I have for you today is, are you stuck? Are you stuck in the past? So when Paul calls us to forget what lies behind, he say, man, don't, don't get stuck in the past because that's why the cross is so important. You've been set free. Now, one last point here, and this is important. Um, to get stuck in the past, you can sometimes get stuck in the successes of the past. Um, and maybe that's what Paul has in mind, because you had um, some Jews in Philippi who were saying, we need to stick to the Torah, we need to stick to the teachings of Moses, um, and, and, and not move beyond that. And, 
And there are some churches I know that get stuck in the past. They had the glory days. I was part of a church and, and people in the church would always tell me about the glory days back in the 70s when there's a TV program there and ch chairs were lined up down the aisles and all oh, those are the glory days. Well, yeah, okay, but those are days of the past, right? We need to, we need to move on as well and not just get stuck in the past. So Paul says, forget what lies behind. And then he gives us an interesting metaphor of running the race, right? He talks about, I press forward um, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so he says, what we need to do, rather than getting stuck in the past, we need to fix our attention on what lies ahead of us. Uh, we need to have a singular focus. And so the image he gives us is that of an athlete in a race. A runner whose every nerve and muscle is attuned to the one goal that lies ahead, winning the prize that is set before him. So, think of the Olympics, right? Except, you know, these, the uh, stadiums aren't empty. There's actually a great cloud of witness cheering us on. But Paul is encouraging us in this. And what's he saying to us? He's saying, you know, in this race that God has called you on, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. One of the things that stood out to me as I've been watching the Olympics these last two weeks is just the focus, the focus, especially of the runners, just before they run, just the, their, the singular focus on, 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 on the finish line, right? And you see it in their eyes. And our eyes need to be fixed on the prize, on the finish line, which is Jesus, which is, which is eternal life with God. Secondly, is to focus on the prize. What is the prize again? The prize is Jesus. But then there's a third aspect to this race, and it's a, it's, it's a bit strange, and it's a realization, even before we set off in the race, or as we begin the race, is that it's a race that we've already won. That we've already won. And see, this is where analogies uh, can break down. In most races, you're trying to beat your neighbor, right? You're trying to get ahead of the person to your left and the person to your right, right? Um, but in the Christian life, that's not what the Christian, Christian life, the goal of the Christian life is not to be better than your neighbor. You know, I'm a gold medal Christian and while well, you're just like, you're a silver medal Christian or even worse, you didn't even medal, you're a fourth, fourth place Christian. Uh, no, no. It's, it's, that's not the picture. We're not straining and striving to be saved ahead of one another. That's why Paul writes these really interesting words. He says, he goes, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Or in other translations, let us live up to what we've already attained. This is key. If you get nothing else from this message today, get this. This is really important. What does Paul mean to live up to what we've already attained? Well, if I'm going to push the analogy, it means that while we're in the starting blocks, we've already won the gold. The starting point for every Christian is the cross that because of the cross, we are forgiven, we are reconciled, we have been set free. And so to be a Christian is to receive Jesus. It is recognizing because of the cross of Christ, right from the get-go, again, we're forgiven, brought onto God's team, as it were. And to live the Christian life is to run the race 
And to run the race is to live out the implications of our salvation. Is to live out the fact that we already have the gold medal. So yeah, so you've been given the gold medal and now we're called to run in a way that reflects the fact that we already have a gold medal. But our starting point is that we've already received it. We are to, to live up to what we've already attained. So our starting point is freedom. Our starting point is forgiveness. And then Paul says, okay, this is who you are. This is what you've already received. Run the race in such a way that reflects this reality, okay? So how do we run this race well? Well, Paul says, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So how do we run the race? Paul says, and, and you don't do this in a real running race, but Paul says, in this race, look around you. Look around. Look at the other runners and try to do what they're doing. And, he's, and he has this interesting thing. He says, he says, join in imitating me. Imitate me. Now, shouldn't Paul say imitate Jesus? Why is he saying imitate me? Is that a little egocentric? No, not at all. Well, two things to keep in mind. One, there is no New Testament in the time Paul's writing. And so Paul is, is pointing people um, to look at his life. Look what Jesus has done to my life. He can do it in your life as well. All right? Secondly, Paul encourages people to imitate him not by treating him like a celebrity on Instagram and watch what he's eating, watch what he's wearing and what music he's listening to. He's saying, imitate me only insofar as I imitate Jesus. So, here's a question for you. Do you know somebody um, who has something in their life? You see Jesus in their life. They have something about them that you wish you had in your life. Okay, think about all the people you know. There's a fellow I knew, his name was Les. He was an older guy, um, quite, quite old. He was in his uh, late 80s when I got to know him. And uh, I remember going to a prayer meeting with him. I lived down in the States for a little while. And uh, I went to a prayer meeting, him and a, a number of other guys. They're all in their late 80s, early 90s. And these, uh, I was young back then, and, and uh, we were invited to a prayer meeting, a men's prayer meeting. And, and I remember watching Les, and he's like, well, it's good to have you guys here. Well, let, let's pray. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's pray. And so this other guy, we're both in our mid-20s, we're about to pray, and we close our eyes, and we hear this rustling and the squeaking of chairs. And I'm like, what is going on? So we open our eyes. And all these 90-year-olds, late 80-year-olds, they're all getting off their chairs, getting on their knees to pray. And I remember listening to Les pray. I'm like, man, that guy's heart's alive to God. I wish I had that in my life. And there's been other people along the way. Um, uh, my good friend Bill, I, I, with whom I worked uh, for many years, uh, he combined, uh, he was a businessman, and he was a shrewd businessman, but he had... Um, a deep character. And I thought, man, I like that combination. I wish I had that in my life. A friend of mine named Don, who, uh, you know, tapped me on the shoulder 22 years ago and asked me if I uh, wanted to be mentored. And he mentored, he's mentored me since. And, and then there's another guy, I don't know if you know him, his name's Brad Strelaw. Yeah. So Brad, years ago, um, when I first met Brad, uh, we were at a retreat on the island and uh, there's a bunch of a staff retreat and Brad and I we were walking out and I was trying to teach Brad how to dance. 
and I was trying to teach him some moves from um, West Side Story, and he wasn't really getting it. Um, but in all this, all of a sudden we hear this crash. This car had crashed into another car, and it sounded really bad. And the first thing that Brad did is he's like, huh, and he runs off. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to go see if somebody needs help. And I thought, wow, you know, the first thing I would be is like, well, I hope somebody helps, you know, these people in need. And, and Brad, right away, he goes to help. And I think, man, that's, that's a characteristic I wish I had in my life. I desire to have that in my life. And so th this is important because Paul says, brothers and sisters, follow my example as I follow Jesus. And so the question I want to ask you is, do you know someone in your sphere, again, who reflects the character of Jesus that you wish you had in your life? Well, ask them to mentor you. Ask them to mentor you. We need, we need mentors. We all need mentors. And we need to mentor others. Um, and here's one, one interesting thing about mentors is that while you're looking for a mentor, you need to realize that some, some mentors could already be dead. Uh, my, the, one of the biggest mentors in my life is John Newton, who lived in the 18th century. Uh, he's dead. But I read his letters of spiritual counsel, and they, they've shaped my life. Okay? So we need to choose our running mates wisely, and we need to watch carefully. But you also may need to make sure that you don't imitate the wrong person. And that's what Paul says in verse 18. Essentially, he says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Right? And so he's saying, you know, be careful. Because if you, if you start imitating the wrong person, um, enemies of the cross, Paul describes them, they will pull you off track. They will distract you and pull you off track. And I've had people in my life that have been, you know, to use the language of our culture today, that, that have been kind of toxic in my own life. Uh, so you need to be careful. And that leads to Paul's final point. And he says, remember who you are, basically. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, for from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So Paul says, remember who you are. Remember your identity. You and I, we are citizens of heaven. Now, sometimes we think, oh, citizens of heaven, what does that mean? Oh, remember that after we die, we get to go to heaven. That's not what really Paul is saying. If somebody said back in the first century that you were a citizen of Rome, that didn't mean that, you know, you're a person that someday hoped to visit Rome. That's not what it meant. It meant that regardless of where you were, if you were a citizen of Rome, your life would be characterized by all things Roman and all things and all laws and all governance that had to do with the Roman Empire. To be a Roman citizen meant your allegiance, your identity, where it was connected to the Roman Empire. And so to be a citizen of heaven means your allegiance and your identity are connected to all things that have to do with God's reign. The church at this time is like a colony of heaven. It's an outpost of God's reign. And so we're called to live and to pray with a desire for this reign of heaven to come, to spread everywhere on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pay attention to God's kingdom around us and we live our identity and our allegiance to Jesus. 
And then Paul says, as, as time goes by, as we grow old, we all grow old. I have a, another birthday this week. It just seems like a year ago I had a birthday, but yeah, I have another one coming uh, this week. And we realize as we get older, our lowly bodies begin to wear out. Our hearts become, um, hopefully, become more and more attuned to our heavenly home. That's Paul's point. And the presence and the reign of Jesus. And he says, as you grow older, your heart, um, we long to be transformed. We long to be transformed that our own lowly bodies, prone to sickness, prone to cancer, prone to growing old, will be transformed and be like his glorious body. Now, I say this most times, but there's so many things in, in our world right now that are distracting us from this race that Paul's describing. So many things that uh, threaten to unmoor us, to fragment our life, to, to throw us off balance, to distract us. And Paul, you know, he leads this passage by saying, you know what, you need to stand firm. And I think that's a word we need to hear today, to stand firm, because there's so many forces that are tempting us and pulling us so that we're not standing firm. And we need to realize, we need to live our lives with the end in mind that all of history is moving towards that glorious day where we will know as we are known and where we will see the glorious face of Jesus Christ and become just like him. The author and the perfecter of our souls. And so anyhow, that's what Paul is laying out for us in this Philippians chapter 3. Let's pray. Jesus, this is your word. You call us to run the race, and we pray that we would run the race, and that we would run the race knowing that because of the cross, we've already won. We've already um, received forgiveness. We've received eternal life. We've received reconciliation. We've received that in Christ we are a new creation and we are called to live out, to run out the implications of this, to, to, to live the life that we have been created and redeemed to live. And so help us to do so and help us not to waver, help us not to get lost, help us not to become unmoored, teach us to stand firm in what is true and to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That is our desire, and we lay that before you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks.
Thank you.